0: Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogeneous Saturdays. Today is Saturday, December 27th, 2014. I have a few things to say tonight. Then I'm going to talk about Christian humility, and then I'm going to have open lines and take some phone calls. The state of Christogenia, or or the state of my ministry, or really the state of me, right? It's been, um, five months since we came to Florida, and we are finally settled into our new living space, Melissa and I, and my library is unpacked, and hopefully now I could get back to my usual business of, um, writing articles and producing the, um, best biblical scholarship that I hope to be able to do. That's my only real goal in life. I want to thank all of my supporters for making Christoginia possible. I sure as hell don't do that. You do that. And, and I praise Yahweh for you every day. As a short-term goal, I, um hope within the next two years to be able to finish the online New Testament commentary and also to hopefully put some pieces of it out in print form, which I get many requests for and which is always in the back of my mind. When you're busy all the time trying to create new material it's hard to go back and format the old material for print and and that does take some work it took me um probably about three months of working on it one or two days a week to do that with the um the christ strike book i would love to get the acts and romans commentaries in print form at least and and then possibly micah amos is close to being in print form and and we hope to um Make the Amos commentary available in a magazine format sometime this winter. As for the um, the CD project, I hope within the next couple of weeks to have Romans available to purchase online in CDs, and um, possibly Micah also. The CD project is. Um, well, of course, anybody can download all of our podcasts and make their own CDs and, and hand them out. I would, of course, encourage people to do that, of course. I mean, that's why everything that I produce and everything that I write, as well as the work of Clifton Emmerheiser, is um, freely available at Christogenia, and, Yahweh willing... It will always be freely available. But the CDs are um, convenient when they're labeled. They look good. They look kind of semi-professional. I'm not exactly a graphic artist. And... and, um, they're, they're a good witnessing tool to just hand somebody. Let them go listen to the Amos podcasts and, and hear all of the um, the proofs of the veracity of the Old Testament that we produced in that podcast. And, and that's just one example. So the CDs, to me, even though they're not exactly selling like hotcakes, it's, it's something that I hope that people do use in the future and and pass out to friends and family and acquaintances, even if they burn their own instead of paying the five bucks for a CD online, which I don't make five bucks on a CD, believe me, most of that money is retained by the company that actually produces them, which is um, to be expected. As a long-term goal, I pray that I'm able to get the Genesis commentary into writing over the next couple of years and and um, to present more commentary from the Old Testament. I had, um, in the past, gone through the prophecies of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and um, Isaiah working with... Um, Eli James, and I hope to be able to redo those in the future. So for now, I'm looking at the Paul commentary and finishing that project, and then it will be some of the other minor prophets in between, and the works of John. And when I start John, I'm going to redo the Revelation series, and and I think that I might even rewrite and augment parts of christ Reich when I do that somebody there's a couple of people that ask me quite frequently but but one man is especially dogged and, and I'm not saying that in in a negative way he's just persistent he, he wants to see a Christiania Old Testament I don't know if that's ever going to happen and and that's not because I'm not willing to do the work. The um, as all of the people who are familiar with my ministry know, the federal government, in an indirect sort of way, financed the creation of the Christian New Testament because they were housing and feeding my fat ass as I was doing the work, and that that's important to such a work that it's supported. The the Old Testament would take several times longer to produce than a New Testament. Of course, I could do it a lot faster at a keyboard than when I translated the Christogenian New Testament and did it all with a pencil. But um, even though I could do it faster, it's still going to take a couple of years. and, And the only thing that really prevents me it is a um it is basically a disappointment in in the available manuscripts a- and um of course i would rather work from proto hebrew and and go and study hebrew for a couple of years until i'm comfortable with translating it what which can be done it's not beyond um our capability to do that. Of course, it would be difficult to find sources for the study of Hebrew that weren't Jewish and, and to eliminate entirely any Jewish, or I should say, satanic academic input. But I have thought, and, and it is on the back burner, that I take books of the Septuagint and translate them online. And I plan to start this in the near future with some of the um, the poetic books and the wisdom books and the places where I think that I can add some value to... Biblical scholarship, if not anything else. Because Brenton, Brenton's Septuagint has some shortcomings. And most of those shortcomings are that the um, problems that I had personally with Brenton's translations, most of those are found in the later books, in, in the wisdom books and the books of the Apocrypha. And, and um, some of those really do need to be revisited they're um, underestimated even by identity Christians that there's um, a lot of value in the apocryphal books, especially in the um, wisdom of Solomon, which I am fully convinced that Solomon actually did right. In spite of the critics, they could all go to hell. Most of them are Jews going to hell anyway. And and um, the wisdom of Sirach is very valuable for other reasons. Tonight we are going to take some phone calls, I pray, if we get some phone calls. If the trolls try to call, I will probably only abuse them and cut them out of the recording later on. The trolls prove to the world that they are Jews simply by attempting to soil our talk shoe chat every single weekend. They're here trolling talk shoe. Thank God that um, I have a chat room on Christagenia where people can chat in comfort and without the Jewish trolls. And thank God, and I praise Yahweh, that... Kristigenia has the ability to have four of its own radio streams, and we don't really need TalkShoe at all. But it's convenient to have TalkShoe for call-in programs and as another public outlet, in spite of the trolls that try to soil it every week. If the trolls call... They prove to the world that I am right when I accuse them of being nothing but the Jewish infiltrators, which they are. And not only that, they are stupid Jews because they keep trolling the TalkShoe channel and they keep calling. They prove themselves to be Jews because if after all of this time of trolling me and my not listening to them, because I'm not going to listen to them their ideas suck the Christian scriptures command them to shake the dust from their feet and move on if they were Christians they would do that if they were Christians they would have done that a long time ago the fact that they're still here trolling my talk show page proves that they're not Christians, and they're too stupid to figure that out. They would have moved on long ago and left me to my sin, if they were Christians. They do not do that, and therefore they prove that they are not Christians. So by deduction, they must be Jews. These bastards that troll my talk show chat week after week must be Jews. They prove it. So tonight we are going to take calls. If anyone who knows me and is in my Skype contact list and would rather I call them on Skype, they can send me a text message and I will oblige them. Someday, I might get my Skype set up to take calls during a program. I haven't done that yet. That may be my one technical shortcoming. In the process of, um, of moving, I didn't have the... Um, The time necessary to update some of the many Christagenia and other Christian identity websites which I host, most of them received regular updates, but the content management system that I use had a serious security leak that was published in mid November, I think it was November fourteenth, we were right in the middle of of moving. We were way too busy to attend to um to, to for me to attend to all the technical details on my website and three of my websites were hacked by people looking to exploit resources by sending, using other people's servers to send out spam, that's what happens in the world of on, of the Internet and online programming. As soon as the hackers, who are always looking for exploits, find one, that they have scripts that go out and search the whole Internet and, and places to take advantage of it, the hackings were not malicious except that they managed to send out a few thousand emails from a couple of my servers spam emails and, and we um, shut them down as soon as we found it but it took a few weeks to recover from that so that was like an additional challenge it's, it's just the challenges from day to day uh, of being online and, and I thought I'd mention it so that people keep in mind that the internet It is not all fun, they're they're not all nice, and it's not all free. It takes, um, well, well, if you're going to host your own websites like I do, and and have your own servers and manage your own servers like I do, and that's really the only way that I could maintain an independent voice, if you're going to do that, it takes hundreds or, or sometimes more than that. Hundreds of hours every year of, of um, work to stay abreast of things, potential threats and, and hackers and all the garbage on the internet. The the, um, the trolls on the talk show page uh, are insignificant compared to that. So that's the way it is. And, and I just thought I'd mention that. There There are a lot of unseen challenges. Challenges that most people don't have any awareness of in, in putting out material like we do at Christagenia. So that, that's the state of Christagenia and the state of my ministry. It, it's healthy and we thank Yahweh for that every day. I am constantly confronted with the accusation that I am not humble. You know, when somebody says, and, and I hear this all the time, to hell with think, or I don't like Fink, he's not humble, he's cruel, he's mean. What I really hear, that's what they say, but what I hear is, I don't like think because he doesn't kiss my ass and listen to my bullshit. That's what I hear. This is almost always because I refuse to agree with one agenda or another. And when somebody countenances me with some crazy agenda, some non-scriptural agenda, I do my best to tell them exactly how I feel, whether or not they are going to appreciate that. I don't care if they appreciate it. I am always confronted with these harebrained schemes and theories about scripture and historical and scriptural events. And when I hear something harebrained, I'm not going to pull any punches. When people present me with those things, I'm going to tell them exactly what I think they are. Whether I practice this philosophy for better or for worse, this is my method and I am not... I am not going to change. Now, I don't say these things to inflate myself, not at all, but only to show an example of what it is that I sincerely believe that we all should do our best to practice. We shouldn't put up with these crazy fantasies about scripture or or these idiotic theories that some people have concerning scripture, so that they could explain the world in a manner which makes them feel comfortable, and really they're just full of lies and, and, and misconceptions. We should, of course, be humble, and we should, of course, be deferential to our brethren, The scripture teaches us to be those things. But the scripture also insists that we put Yahweh our God first above ourselves and our brethren. And the scripture also insists that we despise all of those who despise our God. True humility is subjecting ourselves to God and we do not have any obligation to kiss the asses of those fools who oppose themselves to God. Therefore, we only have an obligation to be humble and to be, and to show deference to those who agree with the word of God I do not care if somebody calls themselves CI or even two seed line labels mean nothing I do not care if someone throws the name of Yahweh around in fact Yahweh himself said of our ancient brethren as Christ himself also quoted Well did Isaiah prophecy concerning your hypocrisy as it is written that this people honors me with their lips but their hearts keep far from me. And vainly do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Throwing the name of Yahweh around and expecting. To be accepted with a label, Christian Identity, DSCI, when you're really a clown. Using that name and those labels, they're not going to get you anywhere. They're not going to get you any special attention. They're not going to earn you a soapbox in somebody else's living room. From Galatians chapter 1, from verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade man or God? Do I seek to please man For yet, if I pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Christians are not to be pleasers of men. The Sadducees and the Pharisees thought that they had the authority of Moses. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29 From James chapter 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, That the spirit dwells, that dwells in us lusts to envy, but he gives more grace. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the solution which James offers is to submit yourself to God. Since Christians are not to be pleasers of men, in this we find the real meaning of humility that Christians should submit themselves to God. James then says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Whether a man is perceived to be a kindred white man or not, If he is preaching a different gospel, then after two or three attempts at correcting him, if he does not agree with the scripture, if he does not submit himself to God's word, then I am going to do my best to slam his ass and hope that he either repents or goes away. That's the only two choices. Proverbs 21, four, The man that wanders out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Proverbs chapter 28 shows that the proud, biblically speaking, are those who do not put their trust in God. He that is proud, he that is of a proud heart, stirs up strife. But he that puts his trust in Yahweh shall be made fat. He that trusts in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walks wisely, meaning putting your trust in God, he shall be delivered. The twelfth Psalm speaks of the proud. It associates the proud with flatterers and it says help Yahweh for the godly man ceases for the faithful fell from among the children of men they speak vanity everyone with his neighbor They kiss each other's asses. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. Yahweh shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith Yahweh. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of Yahweh are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Yahweh, that preserves them, meaning those words, from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. So once again we see that the word of God is the antithesis to pride and vanity as well as to flatterers. Flatterers are pleasers of men and Christians should not be pleasers of men. Christians should also Always be aware that flatterers are out to corrupt them. That doesn't mean that we cannot express agreement, and we should. But flatterers are double-minded because they offer undue compliments, hoping to get you to follow along with them in some heresy. Sometimes those compliments are so craftily orchestrated That you might, it might take two years to realize the treachery. And that's my own experience. From Psalm 40. Blessed is that man that makes Yahweh his trust and respects not the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. Respect not the proud, those who think that they have a better idea than Scripture. Those who think that they have a solution apart from Christ, they're proud because Scripture tells us where the better ideas are and who has the solutions to our problems. Respect not those who turn aside to lies. If your pastor is telling you that the other nations or the other races are going to have a place in the kingdom of heaven or are going to exist in the kingdom of heaven. When the word of God says that he will make a full end of all the nations where the children of Israel are scattered but he will not make a full end of the children of Israel. He's in direct contradiction to scripture. He's turned aside to lies. If your Christian identity pastor tells you that you're a god, wow, that clown that thinks he has truth from God. He's going to tell you that you're a god and and Christ is only your big brother. that man has turned aside to lies if he tells you that Christ is Adam reincarnated because he didn't do it right the first time Christ screwed up (laughs) that man has turned aside to lies if somebody tells you that the kahal doesn't mean the congregation That the congregation doesn't mean the congregation? Even though the scripture says that the kahal includes women and children? That man has turned aside to lies. How could you respect those clowns? Oh, that think he calls other CI pastors clowns. You're damn right. Because they are proud and resist the word of God. Respect not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. From 2 Corinthians chapter 10 for verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Oh, Bastards can come into the congregation. They just can't be in a leadership. (laughs) That's a joke. That's a direct contradiction of scripture. Engineered by a Baptist-ass clown calling calling himself a Christian identity pastor and wanting to squeeze his bastard grandchildren into acceptance by those who listen to him. They won't be accepted except by other liars and blasphemers. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you want to fight with the scripture, you're a liar. You're not subjecting yourself to Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You want to be considered just enough or worthy enough to have a role in the great day of vengeance of God upon his enemies, when Yahweh destroys his enemies, you have to fulfill your obedience first to Corinthians 10.6. If you don't conform yourself to Christ first, then you're not going to be found worthy, according to the scripture. But of course, most people that don't understand that they would just scratch that line out of Paul of Tarsus and write their own scripture what the hell and, and still claim to be Christians and they're idiots seeking and cleaving to the truth we can indeed prevail through Christ we're not going to do it any other way if you think that you can then you are one of these proud blasphemers that the scripture is talking about you're one of these proud whom Yahweh resists and will punish that the scripture is talking about you think you're a Christian and you are either an intruder an interloper an infiltrator, or a moron. There's no other choice. Christians would seek, we're not all perfect, but we would seek to conform ourselves to Christ. And even though we can't, being men, keep his word perfectly, we should recognize, we must recognize, even when we sin, that his law and his word are just and righteous and that we are the ones who transgressed. Aside from all of the idiots who fancy themselves as white nationalists but still continue to accept and uphold the lies of the Jews, there are so many so-called Christians who seek to make their own scripture or at least interpret it in agreement with their own political objectives sadly this happens among those calling themselves after the label of Christian identity and they ought to know better. So as a result we have Chicago Jews tickling the ears of our brethren because they teach it God accepts the other races. And that appeals to some of our brethren because they usually have nieces, nephews, grandchildren, daughters, dating niggers and having nigglets and and little spicklets running around their homes on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's why they love the Chicago Jew. We have Baptist ass clowns who claim that the word congregation does not mean "congregation." Or that the word bastard does not mean bastard. We had prairie niggers who think they could be identity pastors because they believed that it was some mystical bogeyman that had corrupted Eve rather than one of the fleshly serpents who have come to rule over us today. All of these clowns unrightfully divide the scripture. They all pit one verse against another. Always taking one or even both verses out of context in order to do so. Half of the Bible, I've said this a thousand times and so many people still don't get it. Half of the Bible does not set the other half of the Bible at naught. Half of the scriptures, half of the sayings of Christ don't disprove the other half of the sayings. Half of the letters of Paul don't disprove the other half of the letters of Paul. The, nothing in the Gospel of Matthew disproves anything in the Revelation. Nothing in the Revelation contradicts anything in Isaiah or in John. That's just not the way to read the Word of God. You are striving with the Scripture. You. Being proud, resist the word of God. God and Christians should resist you. It is my Christian duty to respect not the proud, nor such as turn aside the lie's the proud of those who reject the Word of God, or reject half the Word of God, or, or the, the, the top 100 scriptures that don't agree with their little agenda, the truly humble accept God's Word. The truly humble cannot accept the proud and those who turn aside to lies. Therefore, when disputing scripture with a brother, As soon as he tries to use one verse of scripture to dispute what another verse of scripture plainly says, he reveals his own hypocrisy. And he disputes not with you or I, he disputes with the scripture. Of course, the context of each verse is paramount to its understanding, but one cannot turn plain statements into a lie and then suppose or pretend that one loves God. You're not going to get away with that. From 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, But ye brethren, Be not weary in doing well. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. That's what Paul did to people who did not accept the Scripture ye count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So by having no company with him, you're admonishing him as a brother. You're not going to shoot him in the head. You're just going to put him out of your sight until he repents, if he repents at all. And Paul goes on to say, not a Lord of peace himself will give you peace always, by all means. So if a white man refuses to listen to the scripture, or starts to dispute what it says, then he is counted as one of the proud. Then until he repents, he can be treated, he should be treated, just like one of the damned. That means that even if he will ultimately be saved, he can go to hell until God decides to save him. Christians are duty-bound to reject those who reject the Word of God. That is what Paul meant by surrendering to Satan those who dispute with the Word of God. And he said that explicitly in his epistle to Timothy of certain men who did that very thing. there's a paper which which actually Sword Brethren found titled The Catechism of the Jew in the Former Soviet Union. It's posted at the Christogonia Forum. It was supposedly published in Tel Aviv in 1958. Now, that opens up the question of the use of the word former. So that's left open. But basically, the paper teaches about some of the Jewish methods of the subversion Of non-Jewish society and there's a quote in there it's very applicable to Christian identity today it says if some know-it-all tries to expose you talking about the Jew right the Jewish leader of Goyim in a Goyim society that's the attitude of the paper that the Jews would infiltrate Russian society and subvert it in the streets. If some know-it-all tries to expose you, the others, meaning the common Russians, will not listen to him and will condemn him. Because by exposing you, the Jewish infiltrator, he is proving them guilty of stupidity. And the crowd will not forgive this. To me, that is the best explanation that I could find for the Joe November phenomenon in Christian identity. He's infiltrated Christian identity. He's built himself up a circle of followers. And when you expose his ass for the liar that he really is, his followers condemn you. Why? Because your exposure convicts them of their stupidity. Because he lies to them about the scripture and they go along with it and cheer them on. That's perfect. Right out of the playbook of the Jews. When people choose to be followers of men rather than followers of God, those men, they become their gods. You want to be a follower of man, any man, you're making that man your God. I don't want to be anybody's God. I know Clifton Emma Heiser, Mark Downey, I know Don Elmore, a lot of other CI pastors. They don't want to be anybody's God. And I believe I could speak for them in that respect. The apostles didn't try to replace Christ. They were pointing the way to Christ. Even if they all had their own different methods of doing that. And some people prefer one method, and some people prefer another. But it's Christ who is the objective. It's Yahweh our God who is the guiding light. Christ is the word made flesh and a light come into the world. Yahweh in the flesh. He sets the rules by which we should follow. It's his word that we should conform ourselves to. And when we refuse to do that, or when we take his word and and divide it and pit one saying against another, as if there is any validity to that at all, because that makes God a hypocrite. When you say that this verse of the Bible disproves that verse of the Bible, you are projecting your hypocrisy onto God. That's exactly what you are doing. No doubt. Truly humble men will always seek to speak the truth. Even when they make a mistake, they're still seeking to speak the truth. And they do not care about followers. And when a truly humble man speaks the truth and does not care about followers, he does not care about who he's going to offend. So if you're offended by my words, just go to hell. Just go count yourself as one of the damned. And I have a scriptural basis for that, because Paul said to turn those who reject God's word over to Satan. for destruction of the flesh in order that the spirit may survive or may live in the day of Christ. That's the way it is. We put God first, and we all seek to conform ourselves to Him. If you want to dispute the Scripture, and you want to call me arrogant or unhumble, when all I do is countenance you with Scripture, well, you're the one that's arrogant and unhumble. And you, being the proud that the scripture speaks about in so many places I have a Christian duty to throw under the bus to kick to the curb and that's the way it has to be and if you don't like that that's just tough you should go rethink your approach to biblical studies and come back like a man seeking to conform himself to Christ that's what we're here for that's what this is all about nothing else matters everything else is secondary let's take a call East Tennessee sounds good hello hello Peter. hello Don how you doing I'm doing fine now Uh, I've got a
1: series of questions. I want to make it one long question, and I want to hang up so I can take some notes. The Martyrs of Alexandria, uh, who did it consist of, and what actually happened with the Martyrs of
0: Alexandria? And I'll thank you ahead of time, and I'll hang up so I can take notes, okay? I I don't have the histories of the Martyrs of Alexandria in my head, right? I'm sorry, I don't. That's the post-Christian era. I I don't... um uh, I don't major in it. I, I'd have to go do a study myself. Right, right.
1: Okay, then. Well, thank you. Thank you, Helio.
0: Okay. I, I've read Eusebius, and I have a, a familiarity with the period of martyrdom from from Eusebius Tertullian, but I don't keep all the facts in my head. I'm sorry. I can't just, like, dial a historical incident and and right. give the details about it off the top of my head. Right. Okay, thank you, Bill. Thank you. I'm sorry I couldn't really treat your question with the attention it may deserve. Let's talk to Florida. Okay, Florida's a clown. Florida's a clown. What could I say? We won't talk to Florida again. I think I know who that is anyway. I think that Florida caller is the troll that called in last time wanting to um argue with me and and um raised by ire, and he is not even a Christian. He haunts Christian identity chat rooms. And he's not a Christian at all. He has no respect for God at all. He thinks he's going to um, rally awakened people around his own soapbox and offer them worldly white nationalist solutions. He goes by the name of Richard M. He's been in Eli's chats as Rosenblatt. And only a kike would use a name like that. And he's not a Christian. He's just a, um, I, I don't know, he's more like a reformed Jew, maybe. Maybe he's a white nationalist with a Judaized mind. But he's not a Christian in any respect. We have a dearth of callers. I, I would appreciate some calls. I try not to do too many of these open lines programs, but it, it's nice to have feedback. It's nice to have... Um, Questions. It's nice to give listeners the opportunity to say things that are edifying or constructive, to maybe fill in some of the blanks we leave, or, or um, help me fill in some of the blanks I leave in some of my presentations. So to me, it's necessary to have open lines once in a while, and I've been trying to do it every three or three months or so, and and really as my own schedule requires it, but it's not always, um, it's evidently not always as popular an idea as I would like to imagine it. Maybe I should put it that way. There goes the dog, right? Sorry about that. I'm going to have to start putting him in the backyard during program time. I have an email here, since nobody's on the line yet. It's from David. I believe this David is, um, I'm not going to say his last name. I believe he's down under. I believe he's in Australia. And he does good at confronting concordant pastors. And 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 I guess they're sort of like congregationalist pastors with with um Christian identity and trying to get them to see the folly of their ways. And and of course they always resist. I think there's another email from him that's even um, that's even better because this gentleman actually admitted that he was um, he was right about a few things. David had sent him a um, a translation. Of Genesis thirty five eleven, and and had challenged him on it but he evidently sent him a lot of other material prior to this and after um, so many emails this concordant minister if that's what he is says hi David Not sure what to tell you. This is when David was pressing him on the promise to Abraham and in Genesis 35 and and matching that to Paul's commission to go before the nations and kings of the sons of Israel in Acts chapter 9. And this is how this concordant pastor had responded. Hi, David, not sure what to tell you. You have explained so much so often, but no one seems very interested. Some concordant readers are not open to any new ideas. Some are open to a few new ideas, and some are open to many ideas, but not this one. David trying to teach these concordant Christians Christian identity they know the Gospels and Hebrews and James and Peter and John are written to the Israelites but only see them as scattered Jews and of course they see almost all prophecy as being in the future yet still or still yet I think they will admit there is confusion as to the different timings and locations of where Christ and the Saints and the Jews are during different eons. But that's just a part of a confusing future that no one is too concerned about. Even if you get some interested in studying the migration of Israel into Europe, you may never get them to listen to more than one Bill Fink lecture. One diatribe against every living Jew, black, Hispanic, and Oriental as being living devils is probably all they could take. I guess they won't understand that Negroes are devils until the Negroes are raping them over their Bibles, which is probably going to happen. I know you believe it's true, but telling all of us that we are unwitting saints and the people we respect the most are universal false paradigm view teachers peddling systemized deception is not likely going to capture our interest. Maybe you should focus on a different group. I'm curious, why are you so focused on concordant universalists? david never answered that or at least never sent a media answer so it's still a mystery but it's um it, it it's david tries to reach this one particular group for one reason or another and and the admission of this one concordant universalist is that he's not interested even if what david had to say was true He's just not interested. People are comfortable where they're at. They think that where they're at is where they belong. And they're in for a rude awakening. Judeo-Christians are in for a rude awakening. They're starting to get it here in America. The Negroes are becoming more and more violent as time progresses. The Jews in the media stoke their anger more and more with each passing day and more and more whites are being raped, robbed, and murdered by Negroes. Sooner or later, white people are going to get it. There may not be too many white people left by the time they get it, but they're going to get it sooner or later. Let's have guest 28. Melissa, please. Bill,
2: how you doing? Hello. Hey, Bill, how you doing?
0: Hello. How are you doing?
2: I'm great. Wonderful. I got a question in regards to Genesis 2.16 and 2.17, where it says that you may eat of any tree except that of the knowledge of good and evil. So, I mean, so if the trees are people, then how come it says we could eat of any tree?
0: I think any tree... The, the, the Genesis 2... Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3 They're parables They're not linear histories They're not scientific explanations of creation As so many mainstream Judeo-Christians Insist that they are They're parables They're parables about the creation of God That are designed in a way Like all ancient myths To transmit lessons about God's creation to man. And to eat of any tree would be basically to eat of any of the trees or any of the species that God created, except that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, did God create that tree? Because there's really no record in scripture that God God created that tree.
2: God created Satan, didn't he? I mean, isn't that what it's referring to right now? Did there? God create I mean, Satan?
0: God created man and and God created man in in a way that he was instructed to be obedient to God. And when man revolted against God, did God can God be blamed for the rebellion? So, did God create um, Satan well, I mean, in his I, I think it's satanic that was state? was intention, though. Did God create Satan in his rebellious state? I'm not sure. Did he? Well, the scripture doesn't say that he did. Now, if God created right. all things, then ultimately, <laughs> Yahweh did create those angels that had free right. will right. Or, or the... That the illusion of free will, but they rebelled against God. And, and when you, God knows you're going to sin, right? He knows we're all going to sin. He knows it. He knows it ahead of time. If he didn't know it, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be God. But, when you sin, even though God knew you were going to sin ahead of time, you agree to that sin. You willingly perform that sin. When you agree to it, you're the one that is responsible for it. That's why oh, God, Gated, I, David David and I Solomon that. sinned and they didn't blame God. They blamed themselves. So God created these angels that later on rebelled against him. In their rebellion they can be considered Satan, right, but they weren't Satan when God created them, okay Esau was an, a a a good man when when he was conceived, God hated him because God foresaw his sin, but God you hated him wouldn't the you agree that God intended him to do that well well. God has planned all of our lives from the beginning. But we live those lives as a learning process because man is here to learn what sin is. So God knew everything long before anything happened. Okay, But when Esau sinned, it was Esau that chose and agreed with that sin. God didn't take him by the hand to the Canaanite woman and say, "Take her to bed." Esau did that on his own. God knew it was going to happen, but Esau did it on his own, and therefore Esau cannot blame God because when he committed that sin, he was agreeable to it.
2: Oh, that's 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 true, but he. I mean you can't you can't say that when he created Esau he intended him not to do that considering he knew he was going to do that already. Well he knew it.
0: He knew what he knew what was going to result from that and Esau became what? An example of a race mixer, an example Paul of Tarsus calls him a fornicator. So Esau should be an example to all fornicators because they exchanged their birthright for worldly rewards like Esau did
2: okay so, so Esau so was chosen
0: by God ahead of time to be a negative example for us today and and okay I mean that's yeah you could be chosen by God for okay. a good mission or a bad mission nobody would want to be Esau but that's the way God created him
2: so you believe it's for him to glorify himself, in other words?
0: In the long run, yes. Everything is for the glory of God because we tend to attach too much value to this temporary life. We don't understand the reward and we sell God short.
2: Okay. So okay, so you agree that when Eve was in the Garden of Eden And she ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was a race-mixing event between her and Satan, right?
0: Absolutely. Okay. And that that was the reason why they were not to eat of that tree. That doesn't mean the other trees were people. The other trees weren't people. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a parable. And that was a race that the children of Adam and Adam and his wife were supposed to keep themselves from, to obey God's law. We have a race here of, of these so-called fallen angels that rebelled from God and went out and mixed their seed with every every kind.
2: Okay, so okay, on the other so hand, we agree that the tree of knowledge is good and evil. We agree that that was Satan. But I mean in that same in that well, same well, it was Satan
0: paragraph, it was a collective Satan, right? It was a whole tree, and the serpent represented that tree. It was a collective Satan, just like the Jews today are a collective Satan. The Jews are Satan because the Jews, as a body of people, are opposed to God.
2: So you so you believe that that so that tree wasn't actually like Satan you know as a as like an angel but rather a pure blooded you know physical Jew
0: well because well, well the devil appears as an angel of light right a messenger of light don't the Jews appear every day in your life as angels of light they act like they're good they persuade. Um, Christian men and women to do things that Christians shouldn't do like vote for fags or or approve of abortion or or one of a million things out there in the social and political realm. Jews appear as angels of light all the time and, and deceive Christians all the time. So this serpent I see as a member of that race which the Bible calls in a parable the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and and, okay, and well, collectively yeah. they are Satan yeah every rebellion needs a leader right Revelation chapter 12 but collectively they are Satan the whole race that rebelled from God and corrupted his creation, which is what we are told happened in the apocryphal literature that the apostles quoted from later. Okay, Meaning so that's terrible. What do
2: you believe the other trees to be? I'm sorry. In in that parable, what do you consider the other trees that where it says any when it where it says the other trees that we could eat of? uh, They're they're fruit trees. trees. That's the
0: rest of God's creation, right? That's the things that God created that we could eat of for our sustenance, that we could share and have communion with. The things that God created are good. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, when did God create that? Where's the record of that in Scripture? I want to see it.
2: Uh, well, I, I would think that him creating Satan and knowing
0: that he would do that, I mean no everything God created, God Satan, created, Satan, created no, it's that. E- not did it Satan Everything God created is good. God didn't create anything that was evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil could only be. The fallen angels that the apostles speak about later. The fallen angels that the Enoch literature speaks about. The fallen angels that appear in Genesis chapter 6. That's all it could be. There's no other explanation for that. So what we have, and, and we're not given all the details of creation, but what we have is a race of beings called angels who rebelled from God and are identified as the tree of knowledge of good and evil in Scripture. They were good at one time, but they learned evil, because they rebelled from God. That's how I see that. And and that interpretation is consistent with all of the New Testament Scripture that talks about them.
2: Okay, but... Don't, don't, wouldn't you agree that yahweh gave them the ability to know good and evil
0: well well yes but they chose evil so so they became outcast just like yahweh as clifton likes to say yahweh created the horse and yahweh created the donkey but he didn't create the mule
2: okay so so in that sentence of 216 and and 17 so yahweh went so the but where he says any tree, that's that's referring to actual what? That's referring to actual trees and animals and whatnot.
0: Well, because he's the, talking about food good to evil eat. referring
2: to Satan. Is that what Because you mean? he's
0: talking about food. It's good to eat. So food, good to eat. Uh, I mean, if Yahweh is the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. Then he didn't create trees of other races that Adam and Eve could race mix with. That would be adultery and fornication. He didn't create. Um, he's not including okay, no, no. in in that I, I, things I have, that are unclean. I that those are
2: products of of mixing. But I mean, in that in that particular paragraph, right there. I mean, he, you know, he's saying you can't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, you know, Eve, when she ate of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, it was a race mixing event between, you know, her and, you know, Satan or a literal Jew. Okay. But in that same sentence, it says he also uses the term eat for, and it says other
0: trees. Fine. I don't have a problem with that because it's a parable. A parable is a, a saying that, that lays something alongside another, to cast something alongside another and make a comparison. That's what the Greek word parabole means. And this Okay.
2: But he's using he's using you know, he's using the same terminology. You know, he's using the word eat and he's using the word tree. And then he's saying that, hey, these are good but this one's bad. Stay away from
0: me. Absolutely. Because it's a parable. We can eat the okay, things so, that he so created. Any we treat, shouldn't that's not eat.
2: referring to, to you know, sexual activity between you know, beings or or whatever be it. That
0: No, uh, absolutely not. Because then Yahweh would be agreeing to a violation of his own law.
2: okay okay so like when you know it's just if somebody asked me about that i would i would tell them that oh where the any where it says any tree that that's referring to that's just referring to that's not referring to people but the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is referring to you know race making right well well, right because
0: because god didn't create anything that was bad So if we have bad things, those bad things must be a corruption of God's creation. Okay, what do you think it means, Bill? I just told you what I thought it means.
2: That, okay, so he's talking about actual treason.
0: Absolutely. That the things God created are good, and they're good for food. And and they're mentioned earlier in Genesis chapter 1. But the things okay. that came the the things that come through those who rebel against God we shouldn't eat. We shouldn't have communion with, we shouldn't eat, we shouldn't um respect any of those things that come from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What whether it be that they in in the Enoch literature we're told that these fallen angels went out and mixed the seed of every kind. They mixed their seed with every kind. So so We don't have a scientific analysis of what we did, of what they did, but we do have food laws and, and a record from God of what He takes credit for creating. So we should know that the things that He takes credit for creating are good because He called them good, but There are things, and there are people, that he doesn't take credit for creating. So we, being Christians, should associate them with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's the way I see that. That's the the choice we have as Christians, to accept what God called good, and to reject bastardization, mongrelization, and, and, and anything that violates his laws of kind after kind. And okay, lost.
2: so, so that's just referring to good things and bad things, in other well, words.
0: Well, well, the trees that he created are all good. He called them good in Genesis chapter 1, right? And they're the trees of the garden that he planted that he told man he could eat from.
2: Okay, so, so pretty much in that, right there in that sentence, he's using the, the, the tree of good and evil he's not using it in the same context as when he was referring to Eve, Ra, and
0: Satan Well, well, it is and it isn't because sexual relationships are compared to eating later in scripture, and, and eating can be an allegory. For yeah, that's, that's
2: what has me confused about that, though, because he says you can eat of these, but you can't eat of this one. So, I got. It. I guess we'll have to agree to disagree on that, but what, what do you think about the unforgivable sin, Bill? What do
0: you think that is? Yeah, you know, I did a podcast on that, and, and um, it, it was... It was actually part of my Amos presentation. I think it was Amos part 10. And I did a paper on that called Scatterers and Gatherers. And Christ himself equates blasphemy to the Holy Spirit with people that are not gathering with him but scattering. and, And with trees that cannot produce good fruit. And blasphemy. I I
2: believe I heard. I believe I heard it. And you believe it's race mixing, promoting race mixing. It's the
0: promotion of race mixing. Yes.
2: Okay. So, so in other words, not all of Israel could be saved then, because I mean, I suppose if a pure-blooded Israelite promotes race mixing, then he's. I mean. Well,
0: well, where did the pure-blooded Israelite learn that race mixing from?
2: I would say from Satan
0: well from the Jews yeah yeah right and a lot of our people are deceived he was deceived should be saved Adam was will okay, sinned but, willfully
2: but I mean they're I mean they're screwed from the beginning I mean they're you know they're already bastards you know regardless but so so the unforgivable sin I mean well, that apply? The, I mean, the unforgivable
0: that is sin is race mixing because it's unforgivable because the fruits, the children, the produce will never be accepted by God. That's why it's unforgivable. Even the apostles that... Oh, 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 so he's that referring to actual to actual
2: bastards. That right. So he's not referring to the race mixers. Themselves, like let's say a white race, you know, he mixes with I don't know, you know, what anybody that isn't white. Okay, so he race mixes with somebody that isn't white. The act that the the offspring of that act is the actual unforgivable sin. That's what you're saying?
0: Because even Paul of Tarsus says that you can be forgiven of fornication, and one Corinthians chapter ten demonstrates that Paul thought that race mixing was a form of fornication. In the Revelation, in chapter 2, we find support for what I'm saying. Christ gave Jezebel room to repent of her fornication, and she would not repent. So he will cast her on a couch, and those who commit adultery with her. And then he says that he will kill her children. Not her. He says he will kill her children with death, because she would not repent of her fornication. So fornication is race mixing. That explains why. The children would be destroyed because a bastard can never be accepted into the congregation of Yahweh. So the unforgivable sin is unforgivable because Yahweh will never accept the results of that race mixing.
2: Right. No, yeah, right. So so it's not so so yeah, so the actual product of fornication that would be that in itself would be the unforgivable sin, but the actual person that perpetrated it, if, you know, if they're a white Israelite, they're, they're saved. I mean, so in other words, a, a pure Israelite could never do something that Yahweh would say, you know what? You know, I'm not forgiving you. Like, you're, you exempt.
0: I said it, um scatterers and gatherers, that there were five concepts that Christ linked in his discourse. I'm not linking these concepts. He linked these concepts in his discourse. And, and you can't imagine that he's changing the topic um, randomly from one sentence to another. And he linked the concepts of scattering and gathering, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the straight gate. False prophets and good and corrupt trees. He linked those concepts, so they all have to be related to one another. The straight gate; that there, there are few who find it. Wide is the path to destruction; there are many who who go thereby. The false prophets, the wolves in sheep's clothing, and the good and corrupt trees, meaning the um the good trees that cannot produce bad fruit and the bad trees that cannot produce good fruit that's a racial message that cannot be anything but a racial message so blasphemy to the Holy Spirit has to be a component of that racial message which is consistent through every one of these five Things, these five concepts that Christ linked: the straight gate, blasphemy to the Holy Spirit, scattering and gathering, false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, and good and corrupt trees. They all have to be related because Christ Himself related those ideas.
2: Okay, I, I agree. I agree with you. So, in other words, an actual white Israelite could never commit an act which. Completely exempt him from, you know, entering into heaven.
0: Well, well, right, because all Israel will be saved, and because that's the reason for the grace and mercy of God, and 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 for many other reasons. because, because we are here to learn what sin is and what the consequences of that sin are. John, the apostle, says that we shouldn't sin. But if we sin, we have an advocate, an intercessor in Christ, who will save us from our sins. So, if we're here, as I had exposited when I presented the book of Romans, I think it was chapter 6, chapter 7, if where, if the purpose of our existence in this world is to learn what sin is and what the consequences of sin are. What is the value of the lesson if his children are destroyed at the end? His children certainly will not be destroyed at the end. Paul attests that explicitly and very, very emphatically in Romans chapter 5 salvation is a racial phenomenon, is what I had um, subtitled my presentation of that chapter. The, um, The fact is that everything God created is going to be eternal. Every man God created is going to be eternal. But all of the bastards can't be saved. God didn't create them. They are the result of the sins of man and and had no place in God's creation.
2: Okay, I agree. That That's the answer I was looking for. Um, okay, so the unforgivable sin is just it doesn't refer to Israel. It's not something an Israelite could do. Like, okay, because we're all saved and it's for us to learn what sin is. And yeah, I mean, if he destroys us in the end, you know, what's the point? So, okay. All right, so that's the unforgivable sin.
0: That's what I believe.
2: uh, What's that?
0: That's what I believe.
2: Okay. And all right, the Book of Esther. Do you believe the Book of Esther should be in the Bible, and if not, why?
0: No, Esther's garbage. It's it's a historical romance that was accepted by the Judeans by the first century B.C. There's no, um, there's not one citation of Esther in any New Testament or any apocryphal writing. That's 1. 2. Esther in any form is not found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. 3. Esther was never accepted by the Eastern Orthodox churches as scripture. Jerome Or the early Christian churches as scripture. Jerome had included Esther in his Latin Vulgate. And that's when Esther became accepted. Four. In the book of Esther, there are many contradictions which make no sense at all. Five. And, and they could be explained, and I promised a few people that I would do a podcast on Esther in in the months to come, and I never seemed to get around to, get around to it five the The circumstances in the book of Esther they defy both Israelite law and Persian law, six. The historical setting of the Book of Esther is impossible because Persian history of the period is very well recorded. And when the events that supposedly took place in the Book of Esther were said to happen, they're not found in Persian history, even though Persian history is very well known. From that period. So when these events took place would be anybody's guess. They never took place in the 4th and 5th centuries BC. And 6th centuries BC. Never. Because we know Persian history very well from that period. And there's no record of these events. Now next. This, there are, in the book of Esther, circumstances which are virtually impossible. There is a circumstance where, in the first month of the year, the, Jew, the, the people of Judah, because I'm not going to call them Jews, the people of Judah in Babylon are told that they are all going to be exterminated in the 11th month of the year. Can you imagine Obama saying, we're going to kill all the Irish people. November 1st Do you think the Irish people are going to sit around With their thumbs up their ass for 11 months <laughs> No way so, so there's circumstances in the book Vester Which border on the ludicrous and, and, and there are also contradictions within the book itself That I would have to dig my notes out To, to be able to identify further Right. Okay, Bill. Well, okay. um, let, let me say one more thing. The characters in the book of Esther. The name Esther, that, that's an anglicization, and, and, and the English translators of the Bible actually tried to clean up the name, right? The name is Ishtar. It's not Esther. It's Ishtar. Ishtar was the Babylonian fertility goddess her uncle Mordecai that name Mordecai is some bullshit it's not Mordecai, it's Marduk 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 is the consort, is the chief god of the ancient Babylonian pantheon and the ancient Assyrian I believe so you have a a Jewish romance starring the Babylonian pagan gods Ishtar and Marduk
2: Okay, makes
0: sense. It, it's a Jewish, it's a romance novel. It does not belong in Scripture. Josephus accepted it. The Pharisees in Jerusalem in the first century accepted it. it it's a great political story, but it's bullshit because it never happened in history. There is absolutely no record of it in history, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in in anything that that's actually. Um, Archaeological. There's no support for Esther.
2: All right, Bill. Well, thank you for answering that, and I thank you for accepting my call. Praise Yahweh.
0: Well, thank you, and and thank you for calling. I, I um. Well, it's too bad we don't have more callers. <laughs> That's okay.
2: And Next time you do a show, Bill, I'll I'll think of more questions.
0: Okay. Thanks for calling. I'm going to give it a minute, and, and only about a minute. I mean, I could talk for another hour, but I'm only going to talk if we get another caller. Uh, I'm not going to um, stretch this out too long. It gets painful. I, I had um, thought about reading more emails. I'm going to leave David's emails for another night. It, it's... um. D- David untiringly confronts these um, concordant pastors, or or whatever. I, I don't. I hate to call them pastors. They're clowns. He he. His correspondent calls them concordant readers. Readers of this concordant Bible, I guess. And and um. It, it's amazing how. how willfully blind people are willing to to stay that consider themselves Christians and, and they won't open themselves up to learning scripture from its, well, we consider it from its original context, but they won't open themselves up to considering ideas which are new to them. Even if those ideas are wholly scriptural, spelled out in the word of God. That's pitiful. Okay, we're going to end this program. And thank you for listening. And perhaps in March or April when I do another Open Lines program out I'll, I'll, uh, be able to give people more notice I, I did fall short of that this week and, and I've been falling short of that there's an event schedule at Christagenia that I haven't been filling in until um, sometimes until the days of the programs and and that's my fault and I apologize for that and that was the case where I didn't post this program on Christagenia until late last night so I should probably give people more notice. I'm going to take a call from Saskatchewan that just came online. Hello.
1: Hey Bill, it's, it's Hunter. Um, I didn't realize you were going to call the show so soon, so I thought I better squeeze in a, a, a question or two. Um, and it's, I guess it involves uh, the idea of uh, statism and, and anarchi- anarchism and, and they they would be polar opposites of each other. Would you agree?
0: Statism and anarchism. Well, yeah. well let's call them. And, and the reason why I'm a- Polar. The reason why
1: I'm asking that is 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 so is basically um, you know where where true Christianity would fit in there. It, it, you know it, it fits in there somewhere and. If we were to ask, be able to ask our, our, you know, personally ask Christ, uh, which, which position he would support, I mean, you know, in this world that we live in right now, you know, um because his kingdom isn't established yet, uh, you know, which, which one would our God have a support? Um it, it would seem to me it would be lean more towards anarchism Versus
0: uh, statism, right? Well, well, the the government that God gave to the children of Israel was basically the government that was in place in the Book of Judges. And it was a... um, It was more like anarchism than it was statism. But there were... There was a... um, a system of of judges in place and a more or less let, let's call it a municipal system the levitical priests aside from the duties associated with the tabernacle in the wilderness wh- which is really only a um, a function of performing rituals that's basically all they were required to do the levitical priests were also the um the, the record keepers and the judges of the kingdom and, and the Levitical cities existed for a reason in, in in the legal process. Now, aside from that, it was, um, I, I don't know, I wouldn't call it anarchy. Anarchy means um, having no ruler, right? But anarchy is closer to the truth than statism. I would really call it, if I had to choose, I would call it a thearchy, because only God can be our king. And that's the lesson that we have to learn in our period of punishment. That's why we've gone through the last 35 years of hi- 3500 years of history that we've experienced through tyrants and kings and popes and, and and now we're in this period of democratic self-rule and you see where you see where that got us it got us overrun with Jews and negroes right so that didn't help us so we have to learn that only god can be our king now in that sense we, we basically are anarchists because we have no earthly ruler. But we certainly have a ruler, and that ruler is the law of God. And we certainly have a social order, and that, and, and that social order is also our political order. And, and that political and social order is, is the patriarchy which God has granted us, As the natural order of our society, so so that that some people might consider that a state. It's all a matter of semantics. It's not really a state in in the in 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 the sense of the way statist societies are perceived today. It's not a state. It's more of an anarchy because there are no earthly rulers, tyrants, or kings. God is king.
1: Right. But, I mean, we do, each of us that, uh, you know, we live in the, the nation that we do or the country, the nation state that we live in. Um, with, you know, and, and for the most part, they're all, in white society, they're all centralized governments and, and and, and that's at the core of, of statism, right? And well, well, a centralized government,
0: up. a centralized government, always ends up looking out for its own interests, and becoming God to the people, and and ruling over the people. Right. And that's part of our punishment, and that's part of the lesson that we have to learn. That in, in a Christian, in a truly Christian society, men do not need states. Because we are all governed by the law of God. God is our king. What do we have need of a state? Why do, what do we have need uh of a bureaucratic apparatus? There's a lesson in scripture and, and I've been meaning to dig it out, but I haven't yet. And, and I believe it's, I believe the subject is Jeroboam. And everything's fine in Israel, and they're getting along well, and living in peace. And he goes out, and he builds a lot of fortresses. And as soon as he builds the fortresses, the Egyptians come and beat his ass into the ground and destroy all the fortresses. Why? Because when he built the fortresses, he relied in the power of man to keep Israel safe, and forsook the providence of God in keeping Israel safe. So the status society is not the answer.
1: And, and doesn't the status uh uh you know the the status system basically upholds itself, supports itself through through two measures and that would be through war. And, and through
0: taxation, right? Well, well that's and the warning. That that's the warning against having an earthly king, which is given in in, um, in, in two Samuel cha- one Samuel chapter eight, I believe, when the children of Israel first demand an earthly king. Right. And. and
1: I mean, obviously, the you know the the nation states, whatever one we belong to, um, for you know for history's proved that uh, you know, over this last century that that they've, in, they've involved themselves in, in wars that are well, they're unrighteous wars, right? And if there are righteous wars, I, I can see you know you always supporting that, but I don't think there ever has been a case where where the nation-states that we belong to, whether it's the U.S. or, you know, Britain or whatever, uh, none of those wars have, that are fought are really ever been righteous wars, right? <laughs> and, and even David, and David in, in Scripture somewhere, um, even though he's described as a man of war, he actually um, condemns it. And, I, and I, I wish I knew what that... I could probably try to find that Scripture. And... and that might elucidate why, you know, what, 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 what's the criteria when that, you know, that war is considered unrighteous and, and therefore, you know, would be condemned by Yahweh and, and which, which, uh, David asserts, you know, through, uh, uh, certain scripture that he, that he speaks in. And if I can try to find that. <laughs> but I, I guess it's as individuals, you know, like how to, well, you know, when do we, how do we walk that flying line, right? Um you know, where we refrain you know, how we can't really refrain from taxation. Um I guess we could refrain from involving our, ourselves in war. You know,
0: well well the either, original either tithes in scripture were to support the Levites, right? The ten percent tithes mm-hmm. were support were to support the Levites. And the Levites Correct. in turn were to administrate The kingdom, and and act as the judges, and make sure judgment was conducted. Make sure that murderers who reached the Levitical cities were treated fairly and appropriately according to the law of God. So, so the Levites had a role in return for their ten percent administrative fee. So, so this what we're never going to um, avoid having to give up a part of our increase in, in order to ensure that the kingdom of God is perpetuated on earth. But if that increase comes from God and we put, tru- put our trust in God, then we should understand that he's going to make sure that we have enough to meet our obligations in his kingdom. But the... the um, the warnings against a king in 1 Samuel chapter 8 far transcend the, the the 10% levitical fee that the children of Israel were were required to cough up on on their increase every year under the levitical kingdom so Great. You're never going Um, to to live comfortably for nothing without taxation. That that that's that that's a pipe dream, right? And 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 that's just the way it is because you have a a, a a people to to administrate, and and people require um administration and and um mediation among one another in in any environment, so as long as we're in these fleshly bodies we're going to have to tow a a a fleshly line and pay fleshly fees that's the way it is right
1: um, there's one scripture that talks about. Taxation, where, where uh, refers to well, it's when the Pharisees they condemn Christ because he's he's sitting there with uh, they call you know he they say that he, he he eats or he sits down with uh, sinners and, and tax collectors, right? And it's funny how they just those Pharisees who I imagine were those were those Pharisees were Jews and they were condemning. And they were distinguishing a difference there between uh, sinners and tax collectors. Like, there they were, you know, uh, maybe a tax collector was looked down upon, but actually they weren't lumping him in with sinners. But then Christ uh, ends up, and I wish I could find the scripture, but he seems to lump them together as one, where there's no distinguishment, right? And... and
0: um, well, well, tax collectors were, were seen in the ancient world as the scum of the earth. And, and just like people view revenueers today down south, right? Oh, the revenueers are here and, and they're going to burn the stills again. Um, Tax collectors w- were, were despised by people in the ancient world because most tax collectors were dishonest. And, and they, um, they went into the business of tax farming for their own profit. That they made deals with kings and were given that their own little geography, plot of geography, from which to farm taxes, whether it be a county or, or a whole countryside, and and um, they went into the business of farming taxes, exacting everything they could from that land in every way they could do it, and and. Having to pay most of it, or, or allegedly most of it, to the to the government that they were farming taxes on the behalf of. And, and they were doing it for their own pocket, because the more they collected, the more they got to keep. So, so tax farming it is a real um, scummy job, and, and they were despised. Tax farmers were hated. And, and tax farmers would hire thugs to go out and collect taxes from poor working people, so they were hated there 's no doubt right and and most of them were highly dishonest
1: uh, so that would lead me to this question here of well first i 'm going to um, reiterate the scripture, it's uh, Matthew 51, and, and that's where uh, they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And that's where he, Christ himself, doesn't seem to distinguish the, the difference between them, right? And that leads me to this question. Is if if this, does Christ see, you know, someone who engages in that, you know, as a, a tax collector for a, for a state system, you know, this, for the nation state, does, does he see their, that engage, them engaging in that actually, you know, uh, deriving a livelihood from that, you know, their work for the IRS or, or whatever, that, that is actually a sinful livelihood, you know, and, and in of that self, it's, you know, um, and the, and if and if none of our people would would engage in that, you know, uh, none of our people would would you know take up a job as an IRS tax collector or whatever. The system of you know the status system itself would fall fall apart, right? Uh, um, if you so, if you, you kind of get what I'm saying there, right? Like if crisis is. Condemns that and, and thinks of a tax collector as, as a person who's actually a sinner that, that self, that they're, the they're in himself. That's because the tax
0: collectors were perceived. As crooks, they were perceived as uh-huh. dishonest because they farmed taxes. They they took money. Yeah. That they extorted money from hard working people and and they did it on a basis that the more money they collected for the government, the richer they themselves would also become because they kept a large percentage of the money. So, so tax farmers were always seen as um, crooks, and you can't really compare them to the Levites, to whom the children of Israel voluntarily contributed ten percent of their increase. A- and if you're yeah, no, shorting the Levites, that then you're shorting God, right? A- and yeah, you're, no, in the long is. run, it's not profitable to short God.
1: No, for sure, there's a difference there, and. and but the, the people who engage in that today, who are, you know, a tax collector for the state of system or for the nation state, um, it's not even just a livelihood that they, you know, they derive a, a certain salary in that fifth. From my understanding, uh, they also receive bonuses for, for the more people that they, you know, they go after and can, co- you know, uh, collect on that tax that is presumed to be owed.
0: Um, they actually oh, they receive the, they have bonuses their on incentives. that. Right, I, I'm not. It, it's the, the whole business is is wicked, a- and we know who's really behind the tax farming business, and they always have been. But not all our IRS agents are Jews. Not all ancient Roman tax farmers were devils. Zacchaeus was a tax farmer that was a good man, a- and he was chief among the publicans. He was a chief. Tax farmer, and he was rich, according to um, Luke chapter 19. A- and he said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I'll restore it to him fourfold. So, right.
1: So, so he, so him having that as a, his form of livelihood is. In of itself is is not a sinful, I guess. Well, I mean, it it
0: was a <laughs> um, it, it was the reality of the world that they lived in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot right. of men went into that for gain, just like you would go into any other business for gain. Tax farming was a business, but because of the nature of tax farming, the people looked down on; they despised the tax farmers, the publicans. Mm-hmm. And why not? Why oh, we despise naturally? We despise IRS agents today in, in the United States. I know you in Canada have your equivalent, but but yeah. a lot of them are good white men that they, they think that they're doing the right thing. They think they're doing righteously, and we know that they're working for those evil <laughs> bastards at at um Goldman Sachs ultimately. Right, and oppressing people. So party. so. They don't see it that way. Yeah. They think they're doing good. So
1: how do I contend with, you know, there's scriptures argued on both sides of the coin. Um, and, you know, that, that basically, uh, you know, we're supposed to, you know, pay our taxes and support the state of system, Um and just, you know, live our daily lives, and nothing we can do about it, kind of thing. And there's, you know, ministers and Theo christian ministers that that use Scripture to their advantage and say that, you know, that we have to, you know, render under Caesar what, what to do, or whatever, and they'll use Christ's own words to, uh, you know, to support that. And, and then there's others who argue the other side of it, right? So... Um.
0: well well, I I did a lengthy podcast on that with my Romans chapter 13 presentation a few months ago and and I would suggest that you go listen to that but because we have to understand and and I'm not saying the Judeo-Christian pastors are right but they're not entirely wrong and we see things a lot different than them but sometimes the result is the same you're not going to fight the government and the money in your pocket Has Caesar's name on it, so render what to Caesar it is. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, so that you have the ability to render to God what is God's. If if you were not um, minded about the money in your wallet, then you wouldn't worry about it so much, and just pay your damn taxes so that you could go about your business. If you fight with the government over their money they're going to put you in prison and take all their money is that worth it I'm not saying you should happily pay your taxes if you could um, pencil screw the government to save your family some money fine And 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 if you can get away with whatever you can get away with so that you minimize your tax burden, uh, I'm not going to say not to do that. Of course you should do that. If you could take advantage of the government's laws to save yourself a a few of their dollars, fine. But when it comes down to it, it's not worth fighting with the government over their money just pony up and go about your business in in intending to and attempting to edify the kingdom of God. And God will look out for you. You you can't do your brethren any good sitting in prison. You're just not going to do it.
1: Oh, no, I I agree. And
0: the, the no Judeo-Christian Christian pastors are wrong because they do not see government as a form of punishment government is a form of punishment government is here to punish us when, when God reckons that we need chastisement and, and we will fly under the radar as long as we don't as long as we're seeking to do good and to do his will That's the way I I see that. I I would listen to my Romans 13 presentation. Okay. Government as a punishment from God. That's what it is. We wanted men to rule over us. And and um, we're going to end up with the scum of the earth ruling over us. And And there's a parable about that, too, that I explained in a podcast several years ago. Maybe I'll drag that out for a Saturday one night soon. The parable of the trees okay. of the what, forest. Uh,
1: what was that scripture then again about Jeroboam? I uh, just want you know. I'm going to go look
0: that up. Well, well, I where said it, I, it, I remember the scripture and what it says, but I don't remember exactly where where it is. I believe it was Jeroboam. Right.
1: Okay.
0: I can't even um. Find it in Bible works right now. Okay. I'll dig it out for a podcast and 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 get it okay. in there when, when I can.
1: Okay, okay. Well, Bill, I just uh, just want to compliment you there. Just don't quit being who you are. You're an original, um, not, and it's not a not flattery or whatever. You know, you were talking about. Humility, and I like the way you described that. It's humility before God, not before men. And Absolutely, if you're humble before God, then you don't have to worry about being humble before men. And, you know, he, he, you know, he, I guess he, there's no doubt he kind of kicked you out to do your thing here, and, 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 uh, we're all the better for it. So, I'm just grateful for, for what you do. So, appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Hunter. Praise Yahweh. If all men were, if all men, none of us are perfect, if all men strove to or desired to be humble before God and subject themselves to the will of God that's expounded through the scriptures, then we would all get along and and it would happen naturally. What we, what we would all agree on the important things and and... When we disagree on the minor things, it would be no matter to us because we wouldn't hate our brother because um, of some stupid, silly little disagreement that really doesn't matter in the long run. If we all sought to please God, we would get along with each other. There's a few questions in the chat. Um, I have some notes from my beautiful wife. If Eve had intercourse with the fallen angel, wouldn't the offspring be a giant? That's an old argument against two seed line. I would say that how do we know that all of the offspring of Genesis 6 were giants? The scripture doesn't tell us that all of the offspring of Genesis 6 were giants. We know that at least some of them were giants. But race mixing... As we can perceive it in the world around us today, does not always have a consistent result. And I could sh- I, I could show I can't show it to you tonight, but it can be demonstrated. Let me put it that way: that there are Jewish dwarves, short Jews, four foot eight Jews, four foot six Jews from the the um, Caucasus region of what we know as southern Russia, and there are Jews that the mother and the father are both four foot six, four foot eight, and they have a son, and the son's like seven foot three. Not all, that there's gigantism in the Jewish race, but it's not consistent because race mixing does not produce consistent results we don't know that all of the children of the fallen angels and the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6 produced giants we only know that a number of them did produce giants so there's no saying that with any certainty that if Eve slept with the devil that the result would be a giant not necessarily and, and that's all I had to say about that. Um, I have um, presented a, a plethora of, of literary evidence that Genesis chapter 3 is a parable describing a race-mixing event. Clifton Amheiser has also, in his own way, done that same thing. It, if people don't accept it, then I don't know how Cain could be of the wicked one. The descendants of Cain could be the children of the devil, and the race of Cain could be responsible for the blood of Abel, as um, as Christ spells out, and, and and there's many other scriptures that support our position that would um basically have to be considered lies, so there's no record in scripture that Cain was a student of the devil, he was a child of the devil, just like the Sadducees who disputed with Christ, Genard asks, if Lucifer is not Satan, is that a correct statement? And, and that's true. Satan is only a title. Satan is not an individual. Satan is only an adjective in Hebrew, which describes somebody who is opposed to something. Now, Satan in the Bible is one of any of a group of, of people who are opposed to God. Even Peter was called Satan because he opposed himself to the word of God in Christ and and had his own idea about what was going to happen to Christ. So Christ called him a Satan. That would be a small as Satan because Peter is a child of God and he can conform himself to God. He has the the ability to do that. Bastards... And people who are born or or corrupted outside of the will of God, which are bastards, they can only be capital S Satans. They can't be small as Satans because they cannot ever be children of God because they were not born from above. And that's the way I see it and 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 we can um, argue over semantics all day but those people are capital S satans because their very existence is contrary to the law of god and therefore <laughs> they are always going to be opposed to god they can never not be opposed to god a good a, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And God's enemies and all those who who are um, of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, who came into their very existence contrary to the laws of God through the sins of men and angels, they are capital satans because they will forever be opposed to God. They. Any one of those individuals can be a Satan at any given time. Any one of those individuals can be a serpent at any given time. When Christ told the apostles that he gave them power over serpents and scorpions, he wasn't talking about snakes and bugs. He was talking about people. Lucifer like Satan is also simply a title it means light bearer the ancient kings of Egypt of Babylon and of other places actually thought that they were the Sun on earth they thought that they were the light bearers there's only one Sun on earth the son of man Yahshua Christ, Yahweh himself, he is the true light come into the world. When man thinks that he is a light bearer, as the ancient emperors and kings did think, and that's very, that that psalm spelled out in many inscriptions. The ancient Hittite kings have in their inscriptions the title, Sun on Earth, referring to the sun. They thought they were the sun on earth. So, if an ancient king believes that he is the light bearer to the people, then he could be called Lucifer. Because Lucifer is simply two Latin words that mean light bearer. And that they're actually taken from a Latin word and a Greek word. Pharos, which means carrier. And looks, which means light. Lucifer means light bearer. In the um, Septuagint, in the Greek, it's Eosphorus. Eos being the word for light, light bearer. It's a title. Yahweh is saying to the king of Babylon, "Oh, so you're the light bearer, oh Lucifer, son of the morning." He thought he was the morning sun, the bright and morning star. In the Revelation, we see Christ insist that he has the title of the bright and morning star. Because only he is the true light for man. So that's the title Lucifer. It is not a name for an individual. Neither is Satan. Satan is not a name for an individual. But any being opposed to God at any particular time can be a Satan now the fallen angels because they rebelled from God and corrupted his creation they collectively became a Satan after their leader who was originally opposed now or who led their rebellion every rebellion has to have a leader basically now that's the way the Revelation describes it. Everything that's been born from them ever since because they corrupted their race is also Satan or a part of that satanic entity which is in opposition to God's creation. And anybody that understands the Arabs, the Negroes, the Jews, and any of those other non-Adamic races should understand it. they too are part of that satanic entity which exists in opposition to God's creation because God Yahweh He only took credit for creating the Adamic race and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the garden when Adam was put here but Yahweh did not take credit for creating it even if we can understand that he created the angels, he did not take credit for creating those angels in the rebellious state that they are found in Scripture. With that, I will close this program. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. And good night. I'll be here on um, on Friday with my next presentation of Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians.